Welcome back to the latest episode of the CGA Tour Podcast. As always here, I'm your host, Calvin Glenn Alexander. And on this week's episode of the podcast, we have Joel from Kansas City Sports Network, fellow Oklahoma State alum and classmate as well. Joel, how's it going? Oh, I'm hanging in there, man. Thanks for having me on. This is a nice change of pace from talking about a baseball team that's 30 games below 500 right now. So I'm, I enjoy that I get to talk about my alma mater and talk a little football too. I'm, I'm excited. For sure. Hey, you know what? You guys got some hope building there in Kansas City with the Royals, so be interesting how that goes. But definitely excited to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs, Chargers. But to start it off here, talk about some Oklahoma State football. So, of course, probably everyone knows here who's listening to the podcast, but Oklahoma State is 2-0. I mean, currently eighth in the AP poll, and we're in Gundy's, what, 20th season it seems like but i think it's actually the 18th so yeah, 17th or 18th year 17th yeah. Or 18th, yeah so doing pretty good so far um what were your takeaways here from that arizona state game grand that of the three games we're gonna play before conference play it's, it definitely was the toughest yeah for sure uh you get a p5 team in there that i did not think they were very good at least coming into the game like there's so much turmoil with what with Herm Edwards' regime right now, I thought there there's a good chance Oklahoma State could just boat race them. That clearly was not the case. They kind of slept walk through the first quarter and a half or so, and even a little bit into the third quarter. But you get a you get out of there with a pretty convincing win, you know, even though it got hairy there for a little while. So that was encouraging to see that they kind of got punched in the face there for a little bit and fought back. And you still get a two possession win uh, against the P five opponent. That's nice to see. There was improved market improvements from the defense after the near disaster that they had in week one uh, to go out there. They gave up less explosive plays. They still give up some, but it seems like they've started to get things tightened up there. And that's really good to see. The offense was not as explosive as it was against Central Michigan, but still showed a lot of promise. And hopefully you just get through this game against Arkansas Pine Bluff this coming week. Just get healthy. Like get out of there, stay healthy, get into the bye week, and then you have Baylor. And then it's a grind. You have nine straight games with no bye. So there, there's a lot riding on this Arkansas Pine Bluff game to just stay healthy and go from there. Yeah, I, I totally agree. One thing I'll say about the game is as I was researching the Arizona State roster, I was like, wait, they have a transfer quarterback who was a previous like highly touted recruit from Florida. Yeah. And that made me a little nervous because I was like, wait, where did Jaden Daniels go? And that he transferred to LSU. But I saw that in the opening week. And I was like, wait a second, who's Arizona State's quarterback now? Look that up. And then, of course, watching watching in a bar where some Arizona State fans came out of the woodwork just to give me a hard time wearing Oklahoma State jersey. When it was the fourth quarter and, you know, they scored and it was only a three-point game, I was like, hey, you know what? Maybe, maybe just don't keep punching me in the arm after he scored. You know, like, like we're good. We're good. Let, let's yeah. uh, thought a little bit here because uh, I'm all of a sudden a little nervous. But um, then they saw it was raining. They're like, oh, we never play well in the rain where there's no rain in Arizona. So. That was the yeah. excuse, at least for it. But you gotta gotta get them in where you can. But no, like the the biggest thing about that game for me, I didn't think Casey Dunn called a great game. And I admit I'm not the biggest fan of him as the offensive coordinator. Feels like he gets really stagnant and kind of gets like the biggest difference between game one and game two for me was it felt like early on between the second half of the Notre Dame game, felt like they found the offense where we're going to run a bunch of 11 personnel. We're going to go quick and we're just going to give Spencer quick, easy throws, basically turn him into a point guard, just get the ball out, 
get it quick, fast. Let's go hit an explosive if we can and just get down the field. That's how they scored, dropped a 50-burger on Central Michigan. And then you look at the, the, the game against Arizona State. They couldn't do that, or they didn't do that. They, it was basically just back to the offense we saw last year, which was run into a pile, run into a pile, YOLO ball down the sideline, which three and out, three and out, three and out, and they just couldn't quite find it. And then to his credit, right when they needed to, they went screen, run, flea flicker for a touchdown. Like they dialed up the three best plays of the day at the perfect time. And it completely flipped the momentum of the game and it was over right there. Once they got that play wide open, I was like, okay, we're fine. Let's just get out of here and let's let's hope we can hold on to the dub. Yeah, I, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm watching a game and it's not in my own apartment and it's not, you know, it's not with like just family, I gotta rewatch the highlights back later on. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting that the YouTube like, you know, clip together uh that ESPN did of the game had back-to-back touchdowns i was like well, there's so much stuff i've been there in the first quarter where i'm like yep okay all right like i'm just you know just shrugging yeah. here and grimacing and everything like that because exactly what you said it was not the offense we saw in the second half of notre dame not the offense we saw first half against central michigan it was like all right maybe we if we don't want to open up the whole playbook to let every single conference opponent know exactly what we're doing that's the bright side the glass half full side of it that i would think of yeah, yeah. but then again the the guy I do a lot of these OC podcasts with Jake, he's he's not a he's not a Gundy fan. He said after even last season, this is a disappointment. Don't like Gundy. Want Gundy okay. gone? All right. So <laughs> a bunch of it, a bunch of it. You know, I'm setting this up in a certain way. A bunch of his thoughts on that is that he grew up in the state of Georgia, where he's like, all right, well, you know what? You went from oh gosh, I can't remember the guy's name to Kirby Smart. Oh, um, great. Yeah. So he's on like. Okay, that trajectory. And he was not an Oklahoma State fan until he set foot on campus. So he doesn't remember, which you and I maybe remember a little bit more here, oh, of yeah. like the in 02 and 03 when we won Bedlam back to back. That was the deal. You know, in mm-hmm. 2011, when we won the Big 12 championship. It was like, okay, like, and I still think we're on that uptick, you know, and, and he's like, ah, he, he thinks we're a little more complacent. All of this is to say is that when I talk with Jake after the game, right, a game, especially against Arizona State, where it's like, we should have boat raced him, maybe. Right, we should have just outscored him, but the play calling was off. His philosophy, at least, is, oh uh, well, Gundy didn't actually give the reins over to Casey Dunn. Gundy was calling more of the plays. Yeah, have you thought anything about that? Because I, I personally go like, well, but but Gundy's not there in the, you know, he's no, but it's, for a reason, right? But if you remember from the Mike Yurcich days, Gundy mm-hmm. stole on the headset and would sometimes overrule him when they felt like they were throwing the ball too much at, at his core, despite being a quarterback and an offensive guy, he wants to run the ball and he wants to establish a run to open up the pass, which let's just be honest in modern football, it just doesn't always work that way. Or it does. That doesn't win you ball games, especially in the big 12, where even in a newer big 12, that seems like the defense has kind of started to catch up with the offense. It's just not, that's just not the way it works. You have to be able to throw the ball to win. And too often it feels like Gundy wants to rein it in and play it safe. And to a certain degree last year, I understood it because you had a top five defense in the country. Like you could win ugly and you could just go out there and just, Hey, let's not make mistakes. Let's play it safe. And our defense is going to bail us out. You don't have that this year. The defense is going to be fine. Obviously it's not going to be the same as it was last year, but you have to be able to score 30 at least to keep yourself in a ball game because the defense isn't going to hold teams to 10 or 13 like they did last year. Just it's not realistic. So you have to be able to have that. And if there was anybody I thought 
if Mike Gundy was going to make Casey Dunn the offensive coordinator, that if there was anybody that would pull a Todd Monken or a Dana Holgerson and shut the headset off and just talk right to the quarterback, it would be Casey Dunn. But it's very clear it's not that. And they have too good of a relationship to where Dunn is probably letting Gundy run things a little too much. And that's how I think we see some, when we see a stagnant offense, it's kind of the first thing I go to. And it's, some of it is a bit of a confirmation bias because I've never been a fan of Dunn as a, a play caller. But, you know, we'll see. Maybe it seemed like he found his footing last week and then we're right back to where we were last year pulling our hair out watching an offense be incredibly predictable. And it's not it's not a pretty sight sometimes. Yeah, last year that defense, what, there's multiple starters in the NFL now who, yep. I mean, actually, maybe multiple is a little too far, but we have, we know Malcolm Rodriguez is a starter. I mean, his jersey's selling out everywhere. So, there's multiple guys on defense last year who were drafted in the NFL and guys who were undrafted for agents who also found a spot too, where this year we could have the same deal, but it's going to be from like the defensive line mm -hmm. and the, the back end of the secondary is we, everyone knows is almost brand new uh, besides one or two guys. So Jason Taylor is the exception, but besides that, I, I agree. I think there's just got to be a lot more of an offensive firepower that we need to show, which Hey, scoring 58 points in week one is awesome. It's just, just weird when 44 of those points were in the first half. And then mm -hmm. it's a little odd to me, too, when it's like, all right, well, we scored 20 through three quarters against Arizona State, where Arizona State, their previous game, they played a, a Northern Arizona Lumberjacks, who I had no idea who was, and they scored 40 to three. I mean, there's nothing I can take away from that game. Be curious right. to see how Arizona State does the rest of the season, but also they have like 20 transfers in. There's just a bunch of weird stuff, like you said, with Herm Edwards program going on. So it's hard to figure out exactly what's what the deal is, but this is a week where what would be your over under? Do you think we get in the fifties in this, in this week at least it, this is such a hard game to try to figure out. Cause it I feel is. like we could hold them to 10 points or less too. On talent alone, you probably can. Uh, but let me look it up. Cause I saw, I think Kyle Cox and Pistols firing said the Arkansas Pine Bluff actually scored. They, they, they can score a little bit, so they might be able to hit a couple explosives, but I'm not super concerned about this game. Like, it's not one of those, like, they're not an FCS program that's going to get up and sneak up on you and, and go win. Like, I don't think we're it's that. Um, okay, they played some school that I don't even think exists, like Bishop Sycamore levels of doesn't exist, and they put up 76. Like, now they and they played some other small school and put up 48. Now that could have been just like it was like FCS to D2 or something like that, like the same kind of level drop to where reality probably hits them in the face a little bit and they get run off the field, which is more likely than anything. I think they yeah, can I mean, get up into the 50s. Like if it's 52 to 17, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, there's not, I, I'm not gonna be really excited about this game no, not no matter all. what happens unless it's like a savannah state you know throwback to kind of 84 nothing Blackman yeah. days where it's yeah it's just an incredible point total because they, they played at to your point they played lane college and northern american university which if i had to do a like a 50 50 guess for a million dollars on are these real colleges or not those would not be two that i would northern, be northern american university sounds like one of those online colleges that like doesn't actually have a campus like you just go online and do your classes and get a degree more than it does actually having a football team hey good to, good for those guys they're playing college football but yikes yeah I'm, I'm one of those guys where at least i'm not playing college football they are props to them but also 
I, if I got an offer to go play for Northern American University, I'd probably take the the visit, but I don't even know. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You know, it's one of those, like, I mean, I remember a William Jewell College was sending stuff to our house for me yeah. to play football for him. It's like, I didn't play high school football. I never took one snap for any team. So somebody figured out that I'm six foot two, doubtful. It was more of a, oh yeah, here's like a partial ride scholarship to go to our private yep. school. And, you know, Pretty maybe much. you can find a spot on the team at some point because they're that small. So, well, after, after Arkansas Pine Bluff, Grant, you said bye week here. And then first game in conference is tough. I got to say, at least from my perspective, and oh, I don't know if you disagree, at Baylor, they just came off one heck of a thrilling game against BYU where they end up losing, which I'd love to play Baylor Saturday instead of in two weeks from now when they get a little bit of distance from that game. But as far as that game goes and maybe kind of the rest of the conference schedule here, what have you liked about us so far? What do you think our predictions are as far as how good we can be this year? I mean, the sky's the limit for what this team can be. I think the Big 12 is super open right now. Baylor has really struggled to throw the ball out. You know, we saw that when they played a better team. Uh, they can run the ball really well, but Blake Shapin holds on to the ball for a very long time, which against that Oklahoma State defensive line, he's not going to be able to do. So that's nice. OU still has, is still kind of working out the kinks, you know, with a new regime, but the Jeff Levy, Dylan Gabriel connection is a real thing. And by week five or six, I think they're really going to get rolling. I don't know what to make of Texas, even though they took Alabama to the wire. I just don't know because it's Texas. And then K-State looks like they can be pretty solid. Their defensive line is really good, but I don't trust Adrian Martinez. So the conference is super wide open at the top with the teams that people thought could come in and compete for a conference title. So it's all there. Like a 10, a 10 win uh, you know, result is very, very feasible this season for Oklahoma State. But I don't know if they're going to get there, frankly. I still have worries about the secondary. I think they're going to get better, but there's still a lot of unknown back there. And we've seen, when you give up that many explosive plays, like that is a problem. And when you get into conference play where there are much better athletes, it gets a little dicey. And teams know, just get the ball out quick and don't let that rush get home. I mean, that's a blueprint to beat anybody in the Big 12. So that is, you know, that is what it is. I think the offense is going to be fine, but Spencer Sanders still has a couple clunkers in him. He does. I, I, he's a fourth-year guy. You know, in the, the immense talent is there, and we've seen some of it this year, but the maddening inconsistencies and the dumb mistakes that he just, we know that they're there and that they're going to happen, and you just hope that the bad outweighs the good. That's not a good place to be. So, and this is not me trying to hate on Spencer Sanders, but we've seen it. Like we've seen it too often for his entire career and you just got to bake some of those in. And it's just a matter of when it's going to happen. And you hope that that clunker happens and they're still able to pull out a win. We saw a couple of those last year, but you just can't sustain that. And right now he doesn't have that de that top five defense to fall back on when he plays a horrible game. Yeah. Last season, I was just going up and down going, all right, Hey, the second channel and worth is available. Put him in the second he's available because I saw how little, reliability we had in Spencer Sanders from not fumbling the ball, not turning it over, not throwing interceptions. And even this past weekend, like there's just, just a couple of plays where it's like, all right, like, man, how'd you see yeah. that? And that's uh, to my to add on to it. It was a bunch of, okay, well, cool. Let's just keep Spencer just kind of in the pocket, hand the ball off, doing whatever guy do because the defense was so good last year. That's my concern for this year with a couple of really tough road games. 
course OU to almost end off the season. But then K-State, as you said, Adrian Martinez, I think they'll kind of figure out a little bit more of how he fits in by the time we play him because it's halfway through the season. I almost like they were playing Baylor this early, but then again, I also don't like it because it's the first true hard matchup we have too. And so Dave Aranda has Spencer's number. Yeah. Spencer threw, I think he threw two picks in that 2020 game. Now it didn't matter because Baylor was pretty much wrecked. And then he threw three picks in the regular season and four in the conference championship. And I think he threw, I think like, I think 12 of his career interceptions are against Baylor in four games. Like you almost have to bake in two picks to what's going to happen in Waco. And you just hope that Oklahoma State's able to force a couple turnovers and find a way to win the turnover margin and sneak out of there with a win because that's what it's going to have to be. They're not going to go in and dominate Baylor. They're not. They're going to have to win a knockdown, drag out, 10-round fight. Yeah, and last year when we played Baylor for the Big 12 Championship, as annoying and, and just oh, God, really mind-numbing that game is, that's the game that gave Blake ship in the reins or shape in the reins, right? That's the game where it was like, well, you know, Gary Bohannon, like, ah, he might be all right. But like this Blake shaping kid was lighting us up for a while during that game. And it was weird to me watching that BYU game, not seeing him do the same. It's like, all right, like maybe BYU's corners and defensive secondary is just that much better than ours was. But compared to last year, there's no way we had guys right. get drafted all over the NFL who weren't able to shut down Blake Shapin, but somehow BYU secondary is on the, is there a lot more going into that from it's BYU, it's a bunch of just other weird stuff they're going through in a late game, but these are college athletes. Like at the end of the day, like, yeah, I'm saying college, but they're almost professionals, right? I mean, right. all these guys here at this point, you're playing power five football. You should be able to be an athlete to be able to stay with it no matter what. And to that credit, like BYU it does not have the same name recognition as Baylor, which is a weird thing to say. I'm sure they're getting plenty of good guys, but to what you're saying, Dave Aranda is a really good coach. Very, who very will figure coach. figure it out. And I'm surprised he's he's still with Baylor. I, I of course wish he had moved on to one of the other schools outside of the Big 12 because I'm not I'm never he, excited to play Baylor. He feels more big time college football than Baylor. Like, and mm -hmm. that's not and that's not a knock on Baylor, but like. He feels like a blue blood power five coach in the next couple of years. He just has that feel about him, like the culture builder. I'm going to be a really good defensive coach, but I'm not going to run things like Iowa and just bludgeon you to death and play joyless murder ball. Like I'm going to go out and hire Jeff Grimes, one of the best offensive minds in the, in the country to come run my offense and let's go and let's rock. And very quickly turned around a Baylor program that looked dead in the water when Matt rule left. That was still still annoys me that basically Matt Rule, a guy who brought that program from nothing to be great, then they have Dave Aranda come in and they go from nothing to okay, now they're one the Big Twelve. They won the Big it's, Twelve in year two. It's crazy. It's just just insane. Cannot believe they're able to do that and have that turn around that quickly. But with that being said, there's other Big Twelve schools that also give me a little bit of pause. I mean I saw how good Quinn Ewers was against Alabama this past weekend before he went down with the injury, and he could easily be back by the time that we play him for homecoming, which, hey, you know what? Last time we played Texas for homecoming, it was a pretty darn good story. But then again, you never know with Texas. Like, they're, they're the most up-in-the-air team of oh, all the Big yeah. 12 that I just have no idea where we're getting. Iowa State, It's I feel better about playing Iowa State than I do Texas year-over-year because at least I know Iowa State be a really, really close game. And hopefully we pull it out. But Texas, exactly. either we'll throttle them 
or we'll play like we did last year where we look dead in the water in the first half. Then Jason Taylor runs back a pick six. And then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, the momentum starts coming our way and we're able to hold on to it a lot more. Besides Texas and, and Baylor, you know, if you had to choose, like you think OU has a chance to win the Big 12 or, or K-State or I mean, how many how many names can we throw here in the gauntlet of possibly winning the Big 12? You can't rule Oklahoma out. You just can't. Like there is too many good players in that program. Like I know that Lincoln Riley was kind of the straw that stirred the drink for them for a long time. And things, the way things ended last year was just bizarre to me, despite the talent, but Brent Venable seems like he's really starting to get things rolling again, a defensive coach brought in a really, really good offensive mind to come and run his offense, a quarterback that's that transferred in is familiar with it along with five-star receivers all over the place. And they're going to get the defense figured out. I mean, they are already look way better on defense than they did last year, which is not shocking at all when you consider who Brent Venables is. So I just – I cannot rule them out. They've been too good for too long, and they're still going to be good regardless, right? Texas, I have no idea what to make of them, frankly. I just – who knows? They could go out and drop an egg to UTSA this weekend. That would be like the wouldn't it be hilarious thing that I, I was talking about that with a friend. Like the, the wouldn't it be hilarious thing is – they play well against Alabama or beat them, and then they drop a game to UTSA the next week. The letdown factor is going to be fascinating there. It's only an 11-point line, and UTSA is not that good. Yeah. I mean, Hudson Carr didn't without, look great, but no, then again, but he was, also he was injured at some point. Yeah, exactly. He got hurt, so, too. And their defense like looked like they tightened up a little bit, like Gary the Gary Patterson effect, but... It's also Texas. Like they could very easily go eight and four or seven and five. Like they could turn around just that fast. K State is still like people were talking about K State as the dark horse, but when everybody considers you a dark horse, you're not a dark horse. Right. And I, again, and we have four years of data on Adrian Martinez of him being an average to below average college quarterback. So what makes me think he's going to magically turn things around at Kansas State? Deuce Vaughn is a freak and probably the best player overall in the conference. But I just, until proven otherwise, I can't trust Adrian Martinez. He's thrown for less than 200 yards in two games against South Dakota, and then they beat the crap out of Mizzou, and he didn't throw the ball much at all in that game. And whenever a guy previously plays in the Big Ten West, which I think is weaker overall than the Big 12, and doesn't light it up in the Big, you know, Big Ten West, excuse me, doesn't light it up with them, then comes over the Big 12, it's like, well, all right, well, how much better can Adrian Martinez actually be with, yep. with our with the Big 12, because for whatever reason, I just really think the Big 12 plays a lot better defense than the Big 10 West does, for sure. Big now, 10, the big, okay. yeah. my, my ultimate take is the Big 10 stinks. Like, over yeah. outside of outside of Ohio State, like, I, it's not that good. Like, Michigan is fine, but they're going to go and lose by 20 to whoever they play in the college ball playoff if they win out. Michigan State is okay. Like, they're fine, I guess. The entire Big Ten West is a crap show. Like Minnesota is going to win 10 games and then go get boat race in New Year's Six game. Iowa plays the worst abomination to the sport of football I've ever seen. Like, you want to beat Iowa? Score 10. Have you seen the stats on this weekend's game against Nevada as far as like Nevada's allowed 200 rushing yards a game and Iowa's only had 115 rushing yards this season? Yeah. They're favored by 23 in that game. And Nevada's awful. They lost to Incarnate Word. I, did, I forgot Incarnate Word, Incarnate Word existed and that they had a football team. But I don't care. What has Iowa proven that they should be a three-touchdown favorite against anyone? Like, I don't even think they could beat UMass by 23. 
I, I don't know. I, I would understand the line completely if it was by four or five or three or just some 10. odd number yeah. that's not. But I mean, I took Nevada plus 23 just on principle. Like, I can't oh, yeah. say, like, unless Iowa plans on getting three pick sixes and a safety, they're not covering that. No, I, there's no way. And to look up more on Nevada, I mean, I was really repping Shane Ellenworth hardcore previously before basically when he was still with Oklahoma State. And then after you said they lost an incarnate word, I I can't believe it because that's even, one of those. He didn't even play in that game. Yeah, I, I don't get it. He got I, I really, really already. don't. Yeah, that's – I mean, they lost – they they and they didn't lose on like a last-second score either, at least Nevada. They lost 41-55. to yeah, and It's not great. They previously beat you know New Mexico State and Texas State, who you would figure at least would be a little bit better than a non-major. But who knows? I mean, maybe Incarnate Word has the answer uh, to Nevada. I'm curious about this Iowa game this weekend too. But I want to ask you about just college football overall. I agree on the Ohio State, you know, relative to the Big Ten, right? Like Michigan is going to be a team that every once in a while, like last year, beats Ohio State, makes the cultural playoff, and then, like you said, loses by 20. If they had played Cincinnati, it probably been a little bit closer, but I think I still would have picked Cincinnati to win that game at the end of the day because Michigan could only run the football. Then, of course, you have the SEC, but the real the, the real conference that I actually like to talk about is the Pac-12 because of how weird it is overall. Mm-hmm. You got UCLA and USC leaving, but then you have Oregon, who just gets absolutely demolished by Georgia. But Georgia might be the best team in the country. It's hard to tell. Um, they, no, are, they are. Yeah. Well, I don't even think it's a debate. Like you, you don't Alabama, debate looks, and, Alabama mm-hmm. looks as flawed as I have ever seen. I'm watching that game against Texas, and I'm like, what's happening here? Something is just off there. I don't know what it is. Now they might go out and win by 50 this weekend and prove me wrong, but just something something was weird about that game. Like there was no reason for them to only lose by one, especially when Ewers went out. For that still be a 20 to 19 game, something's off. Something's really, really off. It seemed like all the receivers stopped running routes in the first half. And then in the second half, they're like, oh, okay, wait, let's keep the play alive and keep running routes. And that was the difference. Yeah. But that's a way I mean, Bryce Young turned into Superman. Like Bryce Young is probably the best player in the country still. And mm-hmm. he proved that. Uh, but he's going to have to absolutely carry that offense because something just is not right at all. Maybe Texas defensive line's that good, but I'm. They might actually really Texas defense to... might actually be legit. Yeah, it, it might be. I'm I'm curious to see how Texas does though the rest of the season, um, and how the rest of the Big Twelve does too. But who who did your pick to win the Pac-12 after seeing how Oregon does and mm. UCLA USC is kind of tough because they haven't played anyone at all. Yeah, I mean, I was listening to Colin Coward and he talked to Joel Klatt on mm-hmm. his weekly segment there. And he said, you know, USC is averaging 8.6 yards a play right now. And their defense has given up like five and a half or so. Lincoln Riley's taking teams like that to the playoff because the offense is just so good that it doesn't matter. Like you have to score 50 to keep up with them. And the defense is, while flawed, can, has still enough California athletes that can go make plays. That I would not, I would not be shocked if they go eleven and one or ten and two and win the Pac-12. But I'm going to stick with Utah. I actually thought mm. Utah could be a playoff team, and I still think they could be. I think they can go run the table. Um, 
you know, they were five yards away from coming out of the swamp with a win against Florida. So that's a t- I mean, that's a tough challenge for just about anybody, especially a Pac-12 team heading down there. I really like Cam Rising. Kyle Whittingham's a hell of a coach. They are a very disciplined team, a ground and pound. That Utah-USC game is going to be fascinating. I think Utah can win just on physicality, but they're just a more physical – they play more physical brain of football that I don't know if USC's ready for yet. So I think Utah beats USC in the Pac-12 title game, but USC is going to be a tough out for just about anybody right now. I didn't think it was going to happen this quickly that their offense was just going to just drop of a hat, drop 50 on everybody, but it really seems like it's that way right now. Like Caleb Williams is that good. Which we, we saw him play last year mm-hmm. in Stillwater, and if the rest of his team had helped him out, game probably goes a little differently but they only lost to Ford against us and I think our defense is better I think our last year's defense is one of the best events Oklahoma State's ever had but also it's the best I'm not even going to try and debate anybody else it's the best yeah I want to leave room for opening just for a debate but at the same point the Oklahoma State's defense last year is better than any Pac-12 defense they're going to see the entire season so see how Caleb Williams does against any of those Pac-12 defenses averaging 8.8 yards a play is just incredible the other team, though, that's, you know, just switched a little bit up. Other team that's averaging a ton of points, interesting in a game, is the Kansas City Chiefs uh, with 44 points scored last week against the Arizona Cardinals, which Cardinals fans, I feel bad for you. You got hard knocks coming this season. Kyle Murray's got a video game contract <laughs> details. There's just DeAndre Hopkins sitting out for a while, and you've got just guys going down, it seems like, left and right here. But course your team plays my team tomorrow night on thursday night football so how are you feeling about uh chiefs chargers here in arrowhead of course man it is gonna be like i talked about a couple you know that baylor osu game being like a 10 round five mm-hmm. this is gonna be a 12 round knockdown drag out it is gonna be nuts and i'm so glad it's on thursday night football nationally televised everyone gets to see it two of the best quarterbacks in the league the best quarterback in the league and probably the, the second or third best in justin herbert um, it is going to be, it's going to be insane. It really, I am so excited that it is at Arrowhead night game, nationally televised. I'm nervous as hell because the chargers have basically tailored their roster to try to beat Kansas city. So it is, it's going to be tough, but I'm excited. There's a couple of things going against the chargers in this game. Just to start out with JC Jackson is questionable and Keenan Allen is out. So you got the Chargers, arguably, you know, best wide receiver comparatively to Mike Williams out, which is just makes it a little bit tougher. Not not saying that Justin Herbert still can't find guys like DeAndre Carter, who was an undrafted free agent um, you know, previously and played for, you know, was not picked up by the Washington Commanders. It's always weird to say um, coming into this season, but I'm, I'm excited to see this game uh, no matter what. I think this game could be where we either see both teams scoring 50 you know, I mean, or something close to that, right? It's the NFL at the end of the day, 50 seems just like a ton of points. Or we could see both teams scoring in the mid-20s, but still just a ton of offense, high-powered, but then maybe a couple turnovers, too, for both teams. It really feels like this is going to be the closest thing we've gotten in the NFL to the Rams-Chiefs 2018 Monday night game that was 54-51. I, I think both teams for sure are going to get up in the high 30s. The Chiefs defense is faster and more aggressive than it was last year. Uh, which you saw on display against Arizona. Like they were getting after Kyler Murray, the defense, like it's just a defense that was, it's more about that action than they were last year. A lot of missed tackles, a lot of missed assignments. You didn't see as much of that this past week. 
and Patrick Mahomes is on just another level right now offensively. And every, what they're able to do offensively now and be more multiple makes me think the offense holistically is going to be better than what they had in Tyreek Hill. And that's not me trying to diminish what Tyreek Hill did. He's one of the most explosive players, one of one in the NFL. But when you have a guy like that, you think you need to get him the ball and just go get a touchdown every single play. And then you have Travis Kelsey and you're just, I mean, it's just two guys. Teams are able to double both of them and essentially take them away because the rest of the, the wide receiver room and the talent, it wasn't there. You saw Juju got involved, Travis Kelsey, Marcus Valdez-Scantling. Uh, then you saw like Isaiah Pacheco, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, uh, you know, um, Sky Moore got involved a little bit. Like there's so many different weapons the Chiefs are now able to throw at you with the best quarterback in the league and the best play caller, play designer in the league and Andy Reid. It's, it's going to be fascinating. And then you have Justin Herbert on the other side with, he's still got Mike Williams and uh, Austin Eckler who notoriously gives the Chiefs fits. Like if you're a player prop guy, like whatever Austin Eckler's player props are for yards and receptions, just hit all of the overs because he's just going to hit them. It's just the way that it's going to be. Um, but no, I, there's going to be a lot of scoring in this game. Like, I think it's going to be, I, I'm going to get my score fiction a little early, but I think it's going to be something like 37, 33, 40 mm. to 35, something like that. Uh, the interesting thing for the Chiefs is Harrison Bucker's out with an ankle injury because uh, he got hurt on a kickoff because the turf in Arizona is terrible. And uh, Justin Reed had to be the emergency kicker, nailed an extra point had five touchbacks, <laughs> but then they signed for Oklahoma State kicker, Matt Amendola, and he's going to be kicking for him uh, tomorrow. So that's going to be an interesting strategy side for the Chiefs. Like, do you trust the kicker you signed off the street to go and make a field goal or make an extra point in a key spot? Or do you trust your quarterback and just go for two or go for, go for it on fourth down and, you know, just go from there. That's going to be interesting. The interesting strategy point for the Chiefs, because Andy Reid historically is pretty conservative with those types of things. So I don't know how that'll change based on not having one of the best kickers in the league, not named Justin Tucker. Like Justin Tucker's in a league of his own, but Bucker is up there as one of the better ones too. He really is. So be curious to see how much they do trust Amendola. It'd be weird rooting against an Oklahoma State guy, but then again, yeah. that's always going to happen no matter what. Yeah, I mean, what, I'm going to root for Cake on the Detroit Pistons to win the NBA championship every year. Like, I mean, I wish, but in some group for Lindy waters. So that's, that's my, my thinking on it. At least the only, the only thing is me pause here as a Chargers fan is that there just weren't more points scored against the Raiders. There were three takeaways in that game. Yeah. Four points missed one missed field goal. Okay. All right. Like it just, you know, the Chargers are going to miss a field goal every so often, but just score only 24 points. One one pick was literally on the two-yard line. So, like, all right, like, that's a hard that's – yeah. that's a tough area to be in. But another pick was essentially a fumble recovery, and it was pretty darn close to the 40-yard line. Or maybe it was an interception. I can't remember exactly. But that was a weird one because, okay, if you just do a little little bit more and the offensive play calling's opened up a little bit, just, Herbert's the guy. Like, this isn't – we're, you know, to talk about Oklahoma State again for a second – this isn't a Spencer Sanders deal where you're worried about turnovers. This is a guy no. you're just absolutely not worried about that whatsoever. You want to open up everything at all times, and you're not going, oh, let's see how the defense can hold up here against Derek Carr and Devontae Adams. You're just not. So that gives me a little bit of pause um, with the Chargers. And then the things that make me feel really good about in this game is that last year, I mean, almost word for word, exact same thing. Chargers had the first game of the season against the Cowboys. But then go on the road to back-to-back -back weeks and win both games. 
One was against the Commanders last year, and then it was against the Chiefs in Arrowhead, where the Chargers won. So it's not like we can't win in Arrowhead, but then again, it's the Chiefs. Like earlier when you were talking about how you've got the best quarterback in the NFL and then the second or third best, right? Every single person who you know, I follow on podcast and in whatever social media is thinks that, you know, it's Herbert Mahomes one, two, right. And sometimes they're big and Herbert. I'm not there yet because we got to have a playoff win. Like there just has to be, like, you yeah, know, I mean, Herbert's, I, Herbert's I really, still a super young dude. Yeah. There, there is some bias in here in me, obviously, because I'm a chiefs fan and have been, you know, for a very long time, but so obviously I'm going to, I'm going to vouch for my guy. But when you yeah. in five in four years you have an MVP, a Super Bowl, four conference championships, and people are still doubting you, it's it's just weird. Like it's one of those like my, Patrick Mahomes has done the same thing that like LeBron and Mike Trout have done in their respective sports, where they were so good, so early, and so consistently great that people got bored with it, and they just expect it. And so when you become that bored with greatness, you feel the need to try and pump other guys up just to keep the conversation there. Like we heard it with Allen very quickly. We heard it with Justin Herbert by hit the end of his rookie year. Heard it with Joe Burrow last year. And we we're already starting to hear it with some other guys. Like tr- people are starting to try and add guys to the conversation, but who's the common denominator in all of those conversations is Patrick Mahomes. Like we're not debating, Oh, is Justin Herbert or Josh Allen, the best quarterback in the league? It's is he better than Mahomes? Is Burrow better? Is Herbert better? Is Allen better? But the common denominator is 15 in Kansas city. So at that point, it's like, what are we going to do? And especially in this game, like, I don't think it's going to end the debate because they never will, because people feel the need to disrespect Patrick Mahomes for whatever reason, or Lamar or whoever else. If the Chiefs go out and put on a show, Mahomes plays the type of game he played in the divisional round against the Bills, and she balls out, wins a close game, like, the debates are going to be over. Yeah, I, I at least for now, like, I don't know how you can continue to debate that he isn't the best quarterback in the league. If he goes up and beats a really, really good chargers team who is really going to compete for the division going to go to the playoffs. At least I, I would hope so just because I want to see Justin Herbert in that spot. Who knows, but it's going to be an incredible challenge for both those quarterbacks. And if the chiefs come out on top, then, you know, what's the point in still debating this, right? At least for right now. Because At least for now. Now, in week yeah. five, when the Chiefs have a dud, then they'll knock him down to like the eighth best quarterback in the league, like PFF did, and we'll we'll go from there. There's there's so many different things about the Chiefs that fascinate me. The, the main one though was from last year of Mahomes, and this is just more of like reading the storylines than anything else. Of okay, well, are they really just not wanting to just? down just just dunk the ball down low every single time because they were just having playing they're playing basically just a bunch of two high safeties every single yeah, time they weren't going to let Tyreek beat them downfield killed by two high shell they did mm-hmm. and what they're able to do now is what they didn't really have last year was a big physical receiver that could win over the middle and now they have that in Juju and they have that in MBS like they still have and they still have dudes that can take the top off you like MBS and McCole Hardman um and even Sky Moore to a degree but the Chiefs have like the sum of the parts in the wide receiver room is much better than it was last year. Like you had Tyreek and you had Byron Pringle, who's fine, but he's not a big physical X type that can go and win over the middle consistently. He's not a good enough route runner to do that. They had Demarcus Robinson, who would catch the ball, run eight yards backwards. Um, there's just not like there wasn't a lot of talent, high end talent outside of Tyreek. And now you have a bunch of solid guys that do more 
the Chiefs, allows the Chiefs to be more multiple and teams can't sit in that too high anymore because they're just going to get killed over the middle. And then the minute you sink in, then you have MBS over the top or McColl over the top on a shot play, something like that. So the ability to be more multiple is going to be the key for the Chiefs this season to keep teams out of that. And the one guy you, you didn't mention here so far that, of course, drove a, I want to say a stake through my heart, but definitely gave me a, a lot of pause after the game last year in, in SoFi Stadium, Travis Kelsey. Yep. I mean, that guy is still just incredible. And for everyone wanting to say, oh, you know what, like fantasy-wise, uh, do we really draft Kelsey that high overall? Because at some point, well, when at some point it happens, it happens. But until then, I mean, it's the same deal with Mahomes here. Like we're talking about these guys comparatively to somebody else because this is where the bar is. And I want to ask you about Mahomes. Do you think if Mahomes was six foot six, he had the same frame as Herbert, right? I mean, Mahomes is six three. He's not a short yeah. dude. He's not, he's not a Mayfield sized guy. But looking at you know, watching him play football and the way he is a little bit more mobile than a six foot six guy, and he does run with a little bit more movement. Granted, it's his running style is is better than mine. So why am I talking about it? But it's definitely different than right. others. Do you think Mahomes was six foot six and was just, I mean, basically had the exact same frame as you would say Herbert or Allen that it would be even far harder to make this conversation be a thing. Maybe, but I just don't know if that changes the way that Mahomes plays the quarterback position. Like as a bigger stockier dude, is he able to like people talk about like only Mahomes or something when he does like that little, like that sidearm throw or that throw across his body. But that is true. Like Herbert and Allen are bigger guys that are not as fluid athletes. It's not that they're bad athletes, but they're not as fluid through their their frame to be able to flip their hips and make that type of throw, or you know, go all the way down sidearm, you know, to to spin it around a defender, or you know, throw completely off of platform in a ridiculous fashion. Mahomes is able to do that because he's not that big, right? Like, and he works with a Kind of Bobby Stroop down in Dallas that is really big on that type of mobility and flexibility um, that gets everything synced up. It's not a trick shot. Mahomes does it because he knows his body and his ability to get his hips firing and go. And it's not that Herbert or Allen aren't the type of like apex athletes they are. Josh Allen's an alien, but he is a lot more rigid. Justin Herbert's a lot more rigid. So it makes it a little bit different. I don't know if Mahomes would be able to be that if he was 6'6", 250, like Justin Herbert. Yeah, and to add to that, too, Mahomes is almost too big to play shortstop in baseball, which, of course, is what he was doing all growing up, right? We hear, yeah. or at least I hear from being a Padres fan, hey, Tatis is six foot four, Like, he's too big to play that position. That's why he gets injured more often, et cetera. I also think that there's just there's pros and cons with no matter how tall you are and no matter how you fit into every position. But with that being said, Mahomes is an inch shorter than Tatis, but yet I'm talking about him as being a shorter dude than a prototypical NFL quarterback who's six foot six. But also prototypical is something that's just just changed. I it's mean, it's gone out the window. Yeah. Yeah. And like no one plays the position like he does. And that's why like there isn't a comparison for him. And why when you hear about a and why what we're seeing now is like it's I'll compare him like this, and this might be a bad comparison, but it just adds something interesting here. Like the way that Steph Curry changed basketball is kind of the thing that like Mahomes is doing. Like it turned a generation of basketball players into I'm only going to shoot threes and I'm going to do all of this stuff. And now you think, oh, I'm a big raw athlete. I'm going to go and I'm going to go out and throw sidearm. I'm going to go out and do all this crazy stuff. Like you're not, you're not Steph Curry, you're not Patrick Mahomes. And just because you're a big raw athlete 
that, oh, we can sit him behind somebody for a year and they're going to turn into the next Mahomes. Like there's, you, you can't like there, there are so many exceptions to the rule. And like, same thing with Josh Allen. Like I'm going to draft Will Levis from Kentucky because he's a big raw athlete that can make all these throws. Well, Josh Allen is Josh Allen. Like there aren't many people that can flip their career around in an instant. Like he can, like he did. Not at all. And to throw more of the comparison game here at you, there's a reason why I think that Steph Curry is an incredible shooter. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he was shooting on NBA rims basically his whole life. His dad played yeah. in the NBA. He's shooting on perfect rims. He's not out, you know, outdoors shooting a bunch. I'm sure there's stories of him doing that. But Mahomes is growing up playing baseball. But you know what? So did Kyler Murray. And they are, they could not be two more different styles of playing quarterback as far as not the mobility side of it, but as far as like actually getting the ball down the field and actually yeah. reading defenses and actually going through progressions, the Mahomes and Murray and throwing off platform. Like that's, yeah. too, that's the, the, that's what they're best at. Cause you have to do that in baseball. Sometimes like you watch Mahomes run that slant flat RPO, which is like their bread and butter. And he's just, just flips it real quick. Like he's turning two, like just that fast. And you can see the baseball in him. You can see it in Kyler Murray running and jumping and making all these stupid throws. Cause it's what he's done forever. Yeah, but there's also a reason why, like, you know, the, the the longer story is, like, NBA players who are centers, right? Like, oh, if they grew up playing soccer and, like, Joel Embiid playing volleyball and Hakeem Olajuwon playing soccer and et cetera. Well, there's a, those guys have, I mean, especially with Olajuwon, have come and gone from the NBA, but no, we don't hear about every single NBA center growing up now and going, oh, let me play soccer for the first 10 years of my life before I try to go out and play basketball, right? Like, right. they're – there is sometimes where it's the exception to the rule and it is a true unicorn we're seeing in the sport as versus, oh, okay, this is the way it should be done here on out. Because, hey, you know what? If I developed him to be a guy who was six foot six, 250, okay, well, cool. I normally would go, all right, you know what? Like, let's go out and just try to see if I'm good at quarterback. But a tight end being that size is, okay, that makes a lot more sense, right? right. Because of the mobility side of it too, of tight end, you know, run blocking, pass blocking, also getting open over the middle versus six foot six quarterback like i've watched a couple of different of like the sp nation youtube videos where the perfect height to be quarterback is not brock geiswather it's not as tall as you can possibly be you know it's not six, yeah. foot, eight, six foot nine and for the same reason not six foot even it is more of the mahomes size so it's one of those things that's interesting to add on here too oh yeah they're it, I, I'm so excited the quarterback matchup we get. We get it in week two as well. Like we're not having to wait down the season, highly anticipated stuff. And then like week four, the Chiefs play the Bucks, and then week five they play the Bills. Like week six they play the Bills. Like it is going to be a gauntlet there for a little bit, but some really, really, really good football and incredible quarterback matchups. Yeah, and when you were naming off the quarterbacks compared to Mahomes, one thing I did notice is that they're all AFC. Like mm -hmm. didn't didn't say Rogers, which he's the NFC guy I would talk about, but then again. After last week's game against Minnesota, don't know if we're talking about Rodgers that much. I'm sure he'll no. bounce back week and just go off. He's back to back MVP. But I, there's just so many things for me about the AFC is so much more fun to watch and really do really do enjoy that and this division. If you had to pick another team besides the Chargers um, in this division and, of course, the Chiefs, who do you think has the best chance to win between Broncos Raiders? Oh, at least okay. getting at least maybe just getting even a playoff spot year if you're choosing a, one of those two to get a playoff spot at least see god this is tough because i think they both are very fatally flawed mm. but if i had to pick one probably the broncos just because i think russell wilson's a little more proven 
But then again, he hasn't had a good playoff moment since the Obama administration. So who knows? I just think that maybe I think the roster is a little bit better. The the Raiders, like Derek Carr's fine. Like I think he gets crapped on a lot for being, you know, on the Raiders, but he's better than people give him credit for. But we still don't know what Josh McDaniels is as a head coach. Like the first time he was, it was an absolute abject failure. And the rest of that roster is not great outside of like Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. Devontae Adams is awesome, but he targeted him 17 times. Like, who knows how sustainable that's going to be the rest of the year. And then on the Broncos side, like, they didn't look that great. They they dominated that game and found a way to lose, which g- good teams don't do that generally. I'll, I'll be curious how they bounce back this weekend. But then again, and also, Nathaniel Hackett butchered that game, and I think that's an understatement. He did not coach that game well. He didn't call the, like, I didn't think he called a great game. And then one of the most mind-boggling, horrific game management decisions at the end of that game to kick a 64-yard field goal. Like, again, it's another first-year head coach, first-time head coach. Those that picked the Broncos to win that division, like, you got to take that into account. 70% of these guys that are coordinators come head coach bust, and it doesn't work. So you're banking on basically Russell Wilson to carry the Broncos to a playoff berth. And I don't know, man, it's tough. What do you think are the the fatal flaws each team has? Because I'm more curious about that aspect of it versus yeah, how much oh. I could ask you more about the Chargers and Chiefs. No, the for the Chiefs and Chargers specifically, like fatal flaws, or, or just you... just no, no, the the Raiders and Broncos. Oh, right. at least the, the Raiders yeah. are often their offensive line is bad, and Derek Carr folds like a piece of wet cardboard when he gets blitzed. That's not great. Um, and then really outside of like Max Crosby, Chandler Jones, like the linebacker, the secondary for the char- for the Raiders is not good at all. Like I know Jonathan Abram gets a lot of you know run, but he's awful. And for the Honestly, for the Broncos, it really is. It comes down to how Nathaniel Hackett's going to be able to to coach for them. Their offensive line did not look good. I didn't think the Seahawks' pass rush is anything special. They were getting to Russell Wilson pretty much all game. Russell Wilson looks like a completely different quarterback. He's not wanting to scramble. Then Pete Carroll talked about it after the game. like They wanted him rushing out left because he refused to do it. Russell Wilson doesn't throw the ball over the middle of the field. Like That has been notoriously his his fatal flaw as a great quarterback. And you have wide receivers and tight ends that can win over the middle, and he doesn't throw to them. Like Jerry Judy may have a good year, but is Cortland Sutton going to win a bunch of balls over the middle? He's not going to throw them. And now Justin Simmons is out for on IR for the Broncos. Like their defense is is pretty good, but they don't have Vic Fangio now. So how how well are they going to be able to adapt and like, with these fantastic offenses in the AFC West? Yeah, it's 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 interesting to hear that because. The Raiders, to me, at least have they have to recover from like three, four, five, six bad drafts in a row. I mean, oh, yeah. the Raiders just have. I mean, the Alex Leatherwood thing is just, just ridiculous. I, the guy was projected to be a second to third round draft pick, gets drafted in the first round, and is cut this offseason because he's just not good enough to be a starter in the NFL. And yeah. he, I, I don't even know if he got picked up by another team. I think the, the Bears picked him up. I think. Yeah, which which a team should. He's got the frame yeah. and size, of course, and he's an NFL guy. But if he can't start for the Raiders, then 
they don't have a great offensive line to begin with. So it's not like he's trying to make it to start on the offensive line during like the Cowboys when they had the best offensive line in the football or something like that. And he couldn't stand it, you know? Um, as far as the rest of the NFL here, as we kind of wrap up, who's what's, what's one team that you're really excited to watch this season besides your own? Oh man. Um, honestly, the Ravens, mm, like, okay. I think, I mean, they had so many dudes get hurt last year that like, I mean, I don't know how they, they were leading that division until like week 12 when Lamar got hurt and that kind of ended things. But I mean, that team is so well coached. Lamar's a freak. And if they can stay healthy, I think they're going to win probably 12, 13 games in that division. And they're going to be a legitimate foe in the AFC. If I had to go to the NFC, the Vikings are going to be fascinating because it looks like Kirk Cousins has an offensive coach that actually likes him. Justin Jefferson is probably – he's my pick for offensive player of the year. And if he's going to run that wide open all the time in Kevin O'Connell's offense, then that team is another team that can go and win 12, 13 games. Uh, their defense is good enough to be able to do that. Oh, and they have Dalvin Cook coming out of the backfield. Like that – I don't know. Like The people that want to pick the Packers, like I get it. Like Aaron Rodgers is still there. But the Vikings are way, way, way better than the Packers right now just as a team. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I follow from like the ringer.com was saying specifically Ben Solak talking about how the, the he was saying that Justin Jefferson was overrated in the game, but his actual point was not that. He's kind of switched his point mid mid intro because he was trying to make a headline. And it was more of the Packers defense is bad. And you watch Jair Alexander line up against Justin Jefferson, who previously said before the game, Hey, line me up one on one. And it's just meme after meme after funny video after funny video of Justin Jefferson getting wide open and just across the middle. And Kirk Cousins throwing to somebody, throwing to Adam Dillon for a completion still because the rest of the Packers defense had no idea what's going on. Got guys playing different coverage when the guys lined up against Justin Jefferson thinks they're playing man when they're really playing zone. And that type of stuff is something that, to your point, Definitely, definitely handing it to Minnesota to win the division there. Of course, I'd love to see the Lions and Rodriguez do a little bit better. Yes. How about that's that the work guy, in progress. Man. Yeah. How about it? Like sixth round pick and like his jerseys are sold out now, like cult hero after hard knocks and goes out and just balls and starts at linebacker for them. Like they cut their first round linebacker from a couple years ago. So the Malcolm could be that guy. Like that is something I never expected. And I'm a, the biggest Malcolm Rodriguez fan out there. Yeah, the the amount of information or the amount of times that I saw him on Hard Knocks, where it was almost the first episode is like, oh, cool, all right, you know, they're highlighting the rookies, like that's 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 Hard Knocks, right? Yeah. They have to create storylines, whatever. Then the second episode, oh, it, they're they're like really going in on Rodriguez. You know, he's got a nickname. He's really all right. Like he's going to be one of the bigger storylines on. Let's see if he makes the team. But by the end of the episode, you're going, oh, he's yeah, he's making the team. Like this is almost just a just a really just a laughable storyline that hard knocks is created here because he's, he's making the team as a six rounder. It's, it's no question about it. And a lot of guys are six rounders, at least make the team of the practice squad, but still the, 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 the storyline of Rodrigo and starting and the amount of the times of the defensive coordinator was like this guy and the linebacker coach going, this guy is just outplaying everyone here was so much fun to see. And almost makes me wish that we could see hard knocks for, Every single guy in the NFL for yeah. that went to Oklahoma State, you know, could see how Christian Holmes doing, see how Emmanuel Ogba is doing, you know, year to year, which seems like that guy is just doing. Hey, Jalen Warren's still. Jalen Warren's RB two for the Steelers. Yeah, that's a great. That's a great point as well too. 
Um, there's there's one charger who is former Oklahoma State guy. If I just I'll give you a pop quiz, yeah, all right, all right, yeah, yeah, you already knew because that's one of those guys that out here at least I name and people are like, uh, who? And I get it, third string linebacker, like, yeah, special yeah, team guy, I, I'm, yeah, I, I'm gonna know who it is because he went to Oklahoma State, but right. everyone else is like, uh, Kenneth Kenneth Murray, right? I'm like, no. Oh God, no! Please oh, no! God, you know please because no. he went to OU. <laughs> now I have such a disgust to look at my face. They say they're like, "What's the deal?" I'm like, "Well, he went to the rival school." Like, of course, we have two guys who played yeah. the same position, both from the same state, place where they went to college. Um, as we wrap up this, I'll give my score prediction too here for for Chargers, Chargers Chiefs. Of course, I'm not going to pick against my own team, so I'm going to say Chargers here. But I'm going to say 31 28. Really, really okay. close. Yeah. We don't see that many. I think that both defenses actually are able to get to the quarterback a little bit more than we think. I think that the Chargers defense, Khalil Max, proved that, that is te- that does terrify me. Like the Chiefs defense or the Chiefs offensive line is really good. But mm-hmm. when you got Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack coming from both sides, it makes me a little worried. Yeah. And the other guys, please. Yeah. The other guys that, that we can throw in there, Sebastian Joseph Day, kind of in the middle, it helps out a lot more than who we had last year. Um, the other couple of guys as well, too, in the secondary. Like, if J.C. Jackson was to play, then that's awesome. But Sante Samuel's not too bad. Oh, yeah. You know, defensive-wise. And there's plenty of other stuff where, okay, you know what? Like, oh, gosh, I, I'm, um, I think it's Cahill. I'm going to have to look this up here real quickly. But basically, last last week we had a guy who um, on defense just did an incredible job um, in the secondary, at least, for, for the Chargers who – yeah, of course, I knew I should, should have found this beforehand. But um, let's see, Bryce Callahan. Sorry, yeah, Bryce Callahan oh, yeah. having a yeah great quarterback hit, great ability to cover the slot. There's just a lot of there's a lot of momentum here. Um, yeah. The Chargers here, and and I'm, I'm I'm excited. I'm really really excited for this game, as you said. National TV uh, should be a lot of fun, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna. I, my official. I'll go thirty-seven, thirty-three Chiefs. I, if okay. It's, All right. If if on Bedlam either score. side, yeah. If if either side, it's more than a touchdown. I will be shocked. Like if the Chiefs come out and win by two touchdowns, I'm like, what's happening here? Or if the Chargers come out and do it, I'm gonna be beside myself. But like, how did that happen? But I I think the the ultimate X factor in this is gonna be the crowd at Arrowhead for a night game. It's the first game, the 50th anniversary of Arrowhead Stadium. They've painted the end zones in midfield the same way they had when they unveiled the stadium in 1972. going to be a really cool atmosphere. Chiefs probably wearing their red on red. Uh, night games at Arrowhead are a different beast, and that's not the, something Justin Herbert's faced in Kansas City because he played them in Week 17 when the Chiefs were resting all their starters. He went in there and won, as he should. And then last year, it was a you know a day game. It's just, even though it's sold out, a little bit different. I, it, I can promise it is actually a different beast and i'm not trying to be a homer like the chiefs have broken guinness decibel records for night games at arrowhead and big games like this so it's going to be a lot of fun and it's the first thursday night football game also airing on amazon prime so there'll be Al a lot Michaels more and Kirk put into it yeah it's gonna I mean, be fun it, it'll be a no matter what it'll be a really, really exciting game if it's not close i'd be super surprised oh yeah uh, like you said in and not close meaning i i could easily see one team getting a garbage time touchdown or something like mm-hmm. that. I mean, totally. of course there's that type of stuff that everyone's leaving room for a year, but I mean, 
close all the way up to the end. It's all I can hope for, really, as a Chargers fan. If we don't win this one, then hopefully we'll win the one at home because last year that left a really bad taste in my mouth when Kelsey just ran through our entire defense in the game. I can't believe that. Time. I still can't believe that happened. <laughs> I, I've seen some highlights of, of the game, and then I got to turn off the TV or turn it off of YouTube or whatever before it's the final play because that one's just... Uh, I, I said mind-numbing like 30 times on this podcast. That was the true mind-numbing thing where it was like, uh, walked out of the game just going, okay, um, so eight guys couldn't tackle Travis Kelsey. Like, <laughs> I mean, sure, yeah, it makes sense. I can't tra- I can't tackle Travis Kelsey whatsoever, but eight guys cannot. Like, what are we what are we doing? So well, Joel, thanks so much here for joining on the latest episode of the CJ Tour podcast. Working, and I know if you're watching this on YouTube, Facebook, maybe you can see Joel's handle here, but where can everyone find you uh to learn? hear more of your Kansas City Royals takes, but also some Oklahoma State stuff too. Yeah, follow me at JT Penfield. I tweet about the the Oklahoma State games every Saturday. I'm talking about Royals and other baseball stuff uh, quite a bit throughout the week. If there is a, a Kansas City fan out there, follow at KC Sports Network. Uh, go to KCSportsNetwork.com. We have everything from KU, K-State, Mizzou, Chiefs, Royals, uh, all of it. 25 different shows on the network right now uh, for anything Kansas City related. So, building it up and it's it's pretty cool so be sure to come and check it out sounds great well joel thanks so much here again and please follow at the cj tour podcast on twitter and instagram for more send in some questions here for the next episode and we'll catch you guys again soon